0: this is the what's next teacher podcast with your host dr julie warner
1: here you'll hear from former teachers who have left the classroom for thriving careers in and outside of education to help you picture yourself on the other side and land the job of your dreams
0: if you're feeling confused about what to do next stuck or fearful about paying the bills, What's Next Teacher has your back.
1: Now here's your host, Dr. Julie Warner.
2: Hey, welcome back. Today's guest is Chris Golick, a digital nomad who owns her own business and works remotely while traveling the world. I personally took so much away from this conversation, and I'm excited to share it with you. A couple of nuggets, Chris explains that she doesn't take any work where she's not able to have control over her own day-to-day schedule, so she works only asynchronously, and she explains really clearly and succinctly in this episode how it is that she goes about negotiating with employers and how she sets up her company and how she finds this digital work. Please check the show notes for a blog post that Chris wrote as a follow-up to this conversation all about how she thinks about finding remote work and her tips and tricks for finding remote gigs. Enjoy. Today on the show, I have Chris Golick, and I'm really excited to bring her story to you because she's doing what a lot of us can only dream of, and that's digital nomading and building her own business. Chris, welcome to the show.
3: Thanks, Julie. I appreciate the opportunity to be here.
2: Well, take me through your early career. What did you teach, and how did you really get... Your career started?
3: I was a high school math teacher and I did that for three years, but actually my my timeline in education started probably when I was about um, 13, 14 years old. I was a dancer as a hobby. I did competitive dance at a studio and I had the opportunity to teach dance classes to young kids, and that would kind of pay for my tuition, if you will, for the courses that I was participating in as a dance student. So um, from that experience, I also was very fortunate to go to different summer camps, like uh, stay away summer camps each year um, through my childhood. And I believe by the time I was 15 or 16, I became a counselor in training and where I would be the counselor in a cabin, say with uh, six to 10 young girls and and we would do all sorts of fun things at summer camp, canoeing, kayaking, archery, uh, dance, arts and crafts, things like that. So I've been working with kids from a young age, you know, prior to having a formal career and also in college, i was working on my degrees i was a math tutor and i still continued to teach dance so i was just in that natural teaching space in different Mm -hmm. ways and um that's why i thought i wanted to be first an elementary school teacher and after my very first semester uh seeking out some of the general ed requirements for that degree. I learned I did not want to be an elementary school teacher. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, My next option, there was a special uh, teaching degree. I could go for middle education only, and I needed to pick two disciplines. I chose math and history, and I quickly learned in my history classes that I was not passionate about that subject matter. And I didn't know a lot of the basics, which was embarrassing, but because I wasn't passionate about it, I wasn't interested in becoming an expert in it and then teaching it. So that made me realize that, okay, don't, or I, I wasn't going to get certified in middle school because I didn't want to do that other subject matter. So I bucked up and uh, uh, ended up seeking out that high school certification, which made me, you know, focus just in one discipline, mathematics. And I was very nervous because I wasn't the best at mathematics. It didn't come naturally to me, but I enjoyed a lot of it. And certain areas uh, did come uh, quicker or I enjoyed more than others um, within mathematics. So yeah, that's kind of my route to becoming a high school math teacher. And what was very influential when I look back now was my experience during my undergraduate program. I was at the University of Kansas in Lawrence, Kansas, and we were able with the certain criteria to teach your college algebra and intermediate college algebra courses because there were just, you know, thousands of students that had to funnel through those classes. And so I was essentially teaching my peers, you know, a couple people or a couple years younger than myself. And I loved the content. And I loved working with adults. But I didn't understand that until like my second year teaching high school. Um, Hmm. It wasn't as enjoyable as I thought it was going to be. And so (laughs) reflecting on it, I realized the age group I was looking for was older. Right. And uh, yeah, so one thing led to another, I quit teaching high school after three years and decided to go back to school to, I already had a master's in education, but I did not have a pure degree in mathematics, which is what I needed to teach at a junior college or a university at the time when all of this was going on. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I went to a smaller universities, started working on classes there. One thing led to another. I met a guy. <laughs> he lived in a different town, clear across the state, but there is a fantastic university out there. So I ended up quitting this master's program in one location, selling my house, moving across the state, and oh, wow. uh, joining a PhD program. Um uh, <laughs> and uh the the day before my moving company came the guy dumped me so um no (laughs) it's uh you know funny how I ended up up out there funny how I ended up in the doctoral program but I'm glad it all happened it was uh definitely worth the interesting chaos of relationships but um I got a PhD in math education with emphasis in instructional technologies and um, became a college professor. And after I did that for a while, I quit and started working for a newer company in STEM education. So science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And I helped develop curriculum and implement technologies in the classroom And from there I switched to a more educational technology company and moved again uh, for that. I've been moving a lot ever since Mm -hmm. I graduated high school. And I I worked for that ed tech company for several years. It was a remote position. So um, they wanted me on the Western side of the US. The company was more Eastern. So I moved to Arizona uh, good international or good airport to get around the U S and Canada, which was most of my territory.
1: Mm-hmm. And
3: I traveled about 75% of the time. And wow. yeah, so lots of, um, lots of plane rides and hotel yeah. rooms, <laughs> and, um, East and West across the U S East and West from, from, uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, all the way to Moncton, New Brunswick, which I had never heard of before. And, uh, and the company also sent me out to Dubai and Qatar in the Middle East for 10 days. And that truly opened my world right there. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah, I've been to Qatar airport. <laughs> <That's> yeah. A- <laughs> yeah. That was mind
2: blowing I- in and of itself.
3: It was when I was there. I had my first full um, pack down in a private room with a woman, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and and you know, no no big deal. I you know I was fine. But their process, I was like, oh okay, this is interesting. But I was very lucky. The sales representative I traveled with, um, she's also female and she gave me a heads up that this is something that will likely happen in this airport. And a uh, simple, quick step off to the side and they do their thing. But yeah, it's a little bit more handsy than I have experienced prior, but you know, it it's no big deal. And, um, and I, I was out there meeting with, um, oh, they have different names for it, but like headmasters and CEOs of private schools uh mostly in the k-12 realm um and i assisted the sales rep with talking with the products that we had and the educational benefits that exist with it and how it functions and i would also train teachers on how to teach with the product in the classroom and um just being in first of all you know a totally different part of the world and it just opened my eyes to what a bubble I had been living in within the United States, although I had lived among five US states and about a dozen cities at that point in my life. So, um, you know, to kind of summarize a little bit of it, I am not afraid to apply for a new job. I'm not afraid to move anywhere because I believe it gives me opportunities that don't just present themselves if I would have stayed in one location. And um, and all of that bundled together gave me the skill sets and the uh, just abilities to start my own business, which and pretty much was freelancing at the beginning. I had a lot of professional connections from over the 15, 17 years of being in education in various ways. So when I chose to start my business, I just started sending emails and reaching out to people that I had connected with in one way or the other over the years. And I had done a lot of speaking at math teacher conferences, Mm -hmm. and that's where I had made some connections. Um, And to even back it up farther, when I became a university professor, I had to publish. It was part of the requirement of the position. And so I, through a sales rep with Pearson uh, Education, the largest textbook company in the world, she had connected me with the math editor at the time. And so I was able to work on uh, collegiate, math, textbook, materials. Um, I would edit, I would develop content, I would correlate information, um, write exams, accuracy, check work, um, you know, all sorts of different things. And um, certain of those tasks could qualify for the publication requirements that I needed as a professor. And I was getting paid on the side. I love so, it when you
2: can double dip like
3: that. I mean, that's amazing. Absolutely. <laughs> um, there's, you know, a lot of, a lot of professors write research articles and, you know, they, they might not get paid for it and that is great. Uh, you know, but I, I don't know. I, anytime you can have that side job coming in, um, I like it too. That that's how we save, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah find that extra money <laughs> so. yeah that
2: was a light bulb for me it was like when I thought about okay I'm teaching and can I just write about my teaching <laughs> kind of Absolutely. two birds with one stone here uh, yeah. yeah they don't they don't want to pay you for all of those long hours that you put into the scholarly journal articles which is <laughs>
3: It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It
2: sounds like you've tried a lot of things and then you either sort of move on if it's not a fit or if there's something of greater interest. Like, how do you think about how long to stay somewhere or, you know, when to move on? How is
3: that kind of work in your mind? Honestly, it comes from within. It is a feeling. It's when I wake up in the morning and I'm like, oh gosh, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, I think because I like to do a variety of different types of things within math education or just mathematics itself, um, I get excited to move on to something else. And, um, and, you know, part of it is it's been conflict with employees. Um, I did not enjoy working with certain people or i didn't enjoy how i was being treated um i don't care for the urgency of um timelines like you know we have to get this project done now uh, or the world <laughs> is going to come to an end no it's not <laughs> it is not once you you're know, a teacher, you uh, know
2: how sort of deadlines are made, right?
3: <laughs> yeah, but you know, that was a hard lesson for me to learn because I also am a people pleaser. I want to make sure I do a really good job because I want people to be like, oh, wow, that's great. You know, thank you so much. Um, you know, the, the quick thank you, um, the the quick phrase of showing appreciation makes me feel good. I think it makes many people feel good. And I don't feel that that happens enough or sometimes it happens and it's not sincere. And I don't like that either. <laughs> you know, So, yeah. uh, you know, uh, I don't think we, you know, need to be a, there's a balance on how to be a good cheerleader, you know? <laughs> so, um, but yeah. yeah, so for me, it just, it really was that, you know, I would wake up and just kind of have that feeling. And sometimes I would be aware of it and other times I wouldn't and time would pass. And, you know, it's scary. I feel like I grew up in a time when you only change jobs when you have already signed the dotted line for another contract for another company yeah. and that you're supposed to be loyal to a company and you just have to suck it up and be there for a long time And it it's just it's false. I mean, maybe maybe that was a work culture. Well, I know for a fact it was a work culture for many, many decades. But um, I graduated high school in 1997 to put some perspective on this. I was a full time high school teacher from 2003 to 2006. working on my phd from there finished that summer 2009 um i then became a full-time professor from 2009 to 12 at one university and then i moved in 2012 and i think i was there till like 2014 moved to the stem company for just one year it's like 13 14 months moved to arizona for that ed tech company type position. I was a manager of professional development, loved a lot of aspects of that role. I I thought a lot of that was neat. Did that for about three, three and a half years. And then, you know, it, it just wasn't the right fit anymore. I actually was trying to change my role in the company and I had gone up different avenues to try and create a position or bring back a position that they once had that they got rid of for one reason or another. And that just didn't come to fruition. And uh, so one day I sent an email and said that I resigned effectively immediately yeah, effective immediately and moved on. <laughs> wow. So, um, that, that was a tough one. There was a lot of things going on in that situation, but it, you know, it's okay. Um, uh, I, I, and I know deep down in my heart that I have a lot to offer in many different ways. So no matter what, I would figure something out. And um, uh, I actually took, I was going to take about a month to kind of like stop and breathe and regroup. Well, by the middle of the second week, I had signed up for Uber and Lyft and started driving (laughs) because I felt like I had to have some sort of income, whether yeah, it be it's scary, a, a, right. a lot. Yeah. yeah. And I had a home and a car and, you know, all these payments on stuff that we do. That's typical, mm-hmm. um, in the, you know, the U S lifestyle and, um, and yeah, I just, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't take that much time off, although like I wouldn't give myself permission. <laughs> Yep. So. Um, and that goes back to that urgency thing and oh it drives me nuts you know <laughs> so, yeah um, but yeah so I I finally decided okay I'm gonna reach out so I started emailing those connections from all of those you know years and doing things and said hey I'm, a, I'm available for um some project-based work I'm available full-time do you have anything and that editor at Pearson scooped me up so fast um the textbook companies like to work with university professors and other educators, um, but often they're not available except for your uh, break in the academic year. So summer, winter, maybe spring break. and Right, uh, certainly. And yeah, so the, the teachers and professors would do project based work in just those weeks. And uh, so when, um, when I reached out saying I was available, you know, at any time, uh, yeah, I was I was given a very large contract. It actually was quite bigger than anything I had expected, so it kind of scared me a bit because <laughs> I was afraid I jumped in a little too fast. But it all worked out. You know, I I like to learn new things, ask questions. You know, um, I'll figure it out, and and it did. That uh, you know, just trusting yourself, like you can do this. It is okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's tough. And especially
2: if you're sort of a recovered people pleaser, I think a lot of teachers are. We have to check so many boxes. We don't have so much of the flexibility that you may have in another career if you work for yourself. How do you, or what would you say to people pleasers about how to be the fearless in the way that you were I I I think I read a stat somewhere that you know women won't apply for jobs unless they tick every single box on the job application and men on the other hand will just jump in and go for it even if they've only got one qualification and that's I think that's related to that people pleaser thing so what do you kind of say to folks
3: stuck in that kind of mode you know that's a really good question um Uh, Honestly, I think I was forced into it um, and I not forced, but, but was kind of pulled along. So that, that editor at Pearson, when she said she had something, she didn't have it. There was another person in another department. They needed people to make math videos, short explainer math videos. Here's a problem. Um, We need you to animate it, but, uh, and, and do a voiceover and explain very concisely and pronunciate well um, and create these math videos. And I'm like, I've never created a math video. Uh, sure, I was good with technology and, and um, you know, I, I had a smart board and, you know, this and that, and I had done different mm-hmm. things, but I had never created a video like what they were describing to me. And what I, and so I, I told her, I go, I'm very interested in this, but I don't have any experience yeah. um, with, with that specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, now I had already been teaching how to use the iPad in the classroom and notability and, and this, that, and the other. <laughs> so I was comfortable with yeah. technology. So she said, she goes, Chris, I know you can do this you know, you're great. She had seen me at a lot of these conferences. So she knows I'm, I'm tech savvy and that I can learn. Um, yeah. So she connected me with this woman who had been making videos. And the thing was they the volume of videos, my first contract, 453 videos. That's amazing. Like, that's why I was like, what?
0: Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, that's intimidating.
3: Um, it was, it was. And uh, anyways, So she connected me with someone and honestly, they do it in Microsoft PowerPoint. They lay out all the content on the slides, you add in animations, you use the notes section to write your script. So you don't use the word, um, a lot, which I know I've been saying in this session, because I I don't have all my thoughts, you know, fully organized to the T. So she just taught me her process. And honestly, within like 45 minutes, 30, 45 minutes, and um, she gave me some of her base files so I could look at it and then set up mine. And bam, did it. <laughs> so, you never know where you'll find that
2: sort of informal mentorship or you know, even sort of, you know, it sounds like more formal. She uh, kind of helped you out. It sounds like even a bit emotionally, just being able to yeah. see yourself in the role and know that you could do it.
3: Yeah, and, and it was because she had seen me uh, you know, speak at these conferences and on different topics. And she's like, I know you can do this. You know, I've seen you do A, B, and C. And and I just hadn't connected the dots for myself yet at that point. So um, I, I do think for other people looking to kind of make that leap where it's something a little uncomfortable, or you don't have the confidence in your skill set, um, if if you find something that you think is interesting and you think you want to try it out then either do it independently you know if it like you know i want to create a math video okay create one yourself and mm-hmm. see how it looks compared to others that you can find all over the internet today yeah. and um uh, or you know put yourself out there and try and find a client that's uh, willing to work with you on a sample project um i still only I require to be paid on any sample work. So when I get a new client and of course they want to know its quality and often I cannot share any of the work I do for other clients because of uh, non-disclosure agreements I sign. If they have anything online that I can find easily, I can send it to them and be like, okay, uh, this bit of this video is my content. That's, you know, I developed the screen that is my voice you're hearing from this to that. So I'll do that. Otherwise, if they want something specific to their content, they always give me the content. I will do a sample at a uh, reduced rate, and um, and if they say they want it for free, I pass. Yeah, that's great advice. Yeah, I just don't work for free anymore. Um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) I I don't think anyone should. Yeah, I totally agree. Even going back to when I got that first very large video development contract, I only had a Mac, um, I think I had an Airbook at the time and the client really wanted everything done to be done on a Windows platform. So, um, and they were, so, you know, I needed Microsoft PowerPoint, no big deal, but they also wanted me to have a quality microphone and, oh, I think there was like, one or two math programs that they wanted me to purchase. So they were willing to um, I think they gave me about a thousand dollars to go buy a windows based laptop of my choice. And, and then a couple hundred dollars for the the microphone and those math programs I needed. So they, they sent me, and I also do direct deposit. I don't do any other weird payment things like yeah, direct deposit yeah. to my business account. <laughs> so they direct Scam- deposit. Get scammed. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And so they, they gave me that up front with, with a little bit more um, uh, like part of the the contract. We did the contract in like um, sections. So I would get paid along the way. Um, and yeah. So anyways, my first business laptop was paid through them and, and it was mine. I got yep. to keep it for my yep. business. So I uh, that was great. And again, I learned that through through them. They said they would give me an additional you know, I don't know, 1300, whatever it might be dollars on top of the amount for creating the videos. And it goes towards equipment and needed to do the project. So as I worked with other clients, if I did need a particular program or something, I would fold that into my quote for them and not necessarily put it as a line item. Um, uh, I, w- I would just quote the project as a whole. I knew what the portion would be that would go to a program. Oh, um, right. Yeah, so I don't, I don't necessarily itemize every single tiny little thing when I do clients. They, they want to know, how much is this going to cost me? <laughs> so I said, this is what it is. This is a timeline. This is what it is. What do you think? And we go from there.
2: And you're generally reaching out to potential clients on your own. How are you finding those kinds of leads i think a lot of teachers think well i have to uh, i have to respond to a a job ad that's out there
3: yeah um and actually i've uh, this topic has been in discussion with me and people i've met for quite a while now and i i am going to write a more detailed blog post about it Um, within my experience first i started out by reaching out to the people that i had known through the years and flat out asking in an email do you have any project-based work for me Then after my first, I think, year and a half, because I had that really large contract. (laughs) And then at that company, there was lots of departments. And so my name got passed around. So I think it was after a year and a half or two years, I felt the workflow was slowing and that I needed to secure more income. So I needed to find more clients. And that's when I had learned about Upwork and Mm -hmm. some of the other freelancing platforms. I decided to go with Upwork. Um, I think it was probably just the first one I looked at. And I created a profile on there. You know, you're filling out a resume essentially online, right? And I would search for different project-based work. Um, There's a lot of listings for math tutors and math teachers. I don't want to do anything one-on-one. I want offline work because all of these projects I'm doing, I do not have to be connected to the internet to work in Microsoft Word or PowerPoint. Oh, that's smart. So all of my physical work truly happens offline. And I only need to be online to sync files to a cloud, to send emails to clients, which include invoicing and sending the files. Um, That's it. That Uh, gives you
2: so much freedom.
3: Yes. Yes, it does. That's
2: awesome. <laughs> well, I think that's a good sort of segue into the digital nomad lifestyle. This is something that you know is, is a dream for a lot of people. So, do you recommend that you find asynchronous types of of gigs to
3: best you know do the nomading thing? And sort of, what's your story there? I mean, for for me. Yes, uh, but but I will say this. So I, I mentioned I used to speak at conferences and give workshops and this and that. I really enjoyed doing that, um, and I haven't done that in a really long time. So if an opportunity came up, I, I would present again. Um, uh, but I'll be very very honest. I like the flexibility of my calendar and not having things on my
2: calendar. Yeah. <laughs> so
3: if I'm going to sit in bed and drink a pot of coffee, you know, for half the day or, or whatever, binge watch Netflix, like then, you know, I just, <laughs> I like my time. I I can do yeah. whatever I want, you know, I can. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's really hard for me now. Um, uh, I, I like, yeah, the asynchronous, you know, work that I can get it done whenever I want to. Um, but there are certain things. So I I think as an individual, you know, what, what is, what makes you happy? What do you like to do? And the best part about it. So I haven't, um, been a speaker at conferences in a long time, but I've been doing interviews like this for podcasts, um, and, and other avenues. So it's kind of filling that space that I enjoyed once upon a time. Um, but, uh, uh, a, lot of, a lot of people like that. A lot of people love teaching English online, you know, with, with a live class on the other side. And that's great. You know, if you want to go for it, that's great. Uh, for me, I love the project-based work I, because I don't need a lot of correspondence with my clients. I am really good now at vetting the right questions when they start giving me a project and describing what needs to be done. Um, Almost everybody leaves out some certain basic things. So I just know what questions to ask. I get the details. And if I'm ever a little concerned that maybe the client hasn't thought through exactly what they want, I will get started based on what they have given me and what they have said. And then I will send it to them. And I will see, is this, you know, this is what you've described. This is what it's going to look like.
2: Well, is smart. this what you
3: want? Don't <laughs> get too far down the wrong path. Right. And I used to, I used to offer suggestions and now I don't do that anymore because with the suggestions I would offer, it's because I feel whatever it is that I'm creating for them would benefit if it had it more details or this and that. But if I suggest it and they say, yes, then I have to do it. And if I'm not going to negotiate a higher price, then, um, then I'm not doing myself a service. So Mm -hmm. I send it to them. I see what they think. And if they bring up some things, then I can be like, Oh yes, I can add that. I can do that. It will be an additional so much you know, I I put that in there. Uh, So I've, I've, I am proud of myself for that, like, you know, really understanding and that, you know, I have a skill set. I'm an expert in my field. I've been doing this for so long and um, it's, it's worth a certain amount. Yeah. That's awesome.
2: I, you know, teachers don't really advocate for themselves in that way. I think because We've been sort of deprofessionalized in the field, especially you more, know more, more recently. How did you really get that kind of gumption to know like, hey, I have a lot of value. I have a lot of what I do is worthwhile. It's worth somebody's
3: money. <laughs> a couple things over the years. The first one would be Dr. David Allen, one of my um, PhD doctoral committee members. He said in his office to me one day at the beginning of my doctoral program, you are going into a field where there will never be enough people that do what you do. Oh, wow. So that was um, uh, January of 2007. So I can remember that conversation from from that month, January of 2007. And so that's always been in the back of my head. And then I also mentioned, you know, the, that burning fire, you know, everybody needs everything done now. And, you know, I've just learned no, no, you don't, you don't need, (laughs) you want it. You want it done now, but, you know, literally the the earth is not going to implode <laughs> if it doesn't get done, you know, today or tomorrow, or the next week. Like let's do it and let's do it right. And I then also learned the power of of saying no, but in a polite way. Um, and I, I just had an instance at the beginning of December with a, a client I've been working with for a while, and um They had asked if I could get something done before the end of the year. And I replied back, I go, oh, we can definitely do this, but this is the busiest time of the year for my business. And with the amount of workload we have right now with other clients, I cannot guarantee the end of December. However, I can guarantee the end of February at this rate, and so I sent that in and I, but I also said, I truly understand if you need to get this done now. And if you need to go with a different contractor, I understand. Yeah. Just so let, it's a risk, but it is. So, well, here's the funny thing. We didn't have any other work. We had plenty of time to get it done, but I'm not going to let someone do that to me. Yeah. Yeah. So, you're taking back the control there. Yes, absolutely. And, and they don't need to know that they don't need to know how many clients I have. I value holidays and family time for my team. And that's something that I haven't really mentioned yet. I I have a small team of contractors. I actually don't do the work anymore. I don't do a lot of the work anymore. Every once in a while do a little project here or there. But I have started hiring contractors in um, 2019 to sub out the work. So I don't have to work 60, 80 hours a week Mm
0: -hmm. anymore.
3: I have other people that can do the legwork, and then I might review it, skim over it, uh, double check, or have them get started, send it to me so I can look, and then say, okay, yeah, roll with it. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a balance, you know. My my contractors only know so much. My clients only know so much, and I'm in a niche field. There's not billions of people that know university and K12 mathematics that also have the technology skills and the content development skills and the editorial skills. So, um, I have a small business, but it's important. It will always be around and I can make it to be whatever I want it to be because it's my business. And I love that. That's
2: so cool. Do you think that, that it's possible to, it sounded like you you said you freelanced, and then kind of built the business up from there. Is that how you would recommend kind of getting started or do people need a huge web presence
3: early on? I refuse to spend my own money on my business. <laughs> yeah, I'm, so, taking, I'm taking notes over here. Yes. <laughs> so I do not have a paid for website. I did create a very simple website on Um, Wix.com Wix is just a platform. And so it has a really long, ugly URL, uh, but I do technically have one there. Um, I don't even look, I haven't even opened up that site in forever. Um, It just has the basics on how to contact me, but I have a very thorough LinkedIn profile and I have a very thorough Upwork profile So clients can find me, but I also go searching for them. Um, I I feel like people put too much effort into certain things that really are not all that important When, when you can be more efficient in other ways. I know who my target audience is. I need textbook publishers, tutoring centers, professional development companies, uh, ed tech companies, anyone that's in this space with math content for university or K-12, I am going to find you and you are who I'm going to ask for these projects because these are the projects that I want to work on. I am not going to, I I am not interested in being in sales. So I am not creating a course and selling my own course. I'm going to take what you have I'm going to edit it and change it based on what you tell me to do. I'm going to give it to you and then I'm done and I'm finding another project. I don't care what you do with it afterwards. (laughs) It's no business of mine. Um, and, uh, and you know, depending on the situation, sometimes I want credit to my business. Sometimes I don't, uh, just depends on what it is and referrals. Um, uh, the current client I have right now was a referral. Um, This client had reached out to someone else. They were busy. They said, you need to contact Christina Golic. And so they did. And, uh, and my, my friend gave me the heads up, I got the email, and the offer was the lowest offer I had ever been given in my life. Mm -hmm. So I didn't think that this was going to come to fruition. But Um, again, after that email consultation back and forth and asking a few questions, uh, and me explaining that his budget was not realistic. And this is why um, they did not bat an eye when I gave them the quotes for what we're doing. (laughs) So so part of it is I have to educate the clients on on what's realistic or not.
2: Yeah. And how do you figure out sort of what the the market rate is or or what you can command
3: um let's see how did i do that back in the day i think originally i started out with some basic division so you know how much did i feel like i was worth in in a year you know how what's the salary that i want to make in a year so let's say a hundred thousand dollars and then i started dividing i I had to understand how much i would take out in taxes and what that would leave me uh break it down to how many you know a, a traditional amount of work weeks in a year hours and so on so i just kept on dividing to find a base um uh, and I didn't randomly pick out hundred thousand dollars. I've obviously been working for so many years. I know what my salary has been in these different careers. Um, and actually I know for a fact I started extrapolating from something a little bit higher than that, <laughs> but, um, and yeah, so, I mean, it's not an exact science, but yeah. I just took the information, you know, I know what I was making in these different roles. I know what other people were making, As a freelancer, I have to handle my own taxes and equipment and this and that. Um, I've also been in the industry for so long. And this is a a niche area. You know, there's not uh, enough people doing it. So, um, but at first, you know, I would... A lot of people do do like to contract for hours. Um, I I feel clients, um, smaller businesses want to hire someone for hourly work. And so I did a little bit of that at like 50 to 75 an hour. And then I just realized, I was like, this is not worth it for me. I want flat rate and I'm gonna set it. So that's when it's like, I really find out the details of what is it that you want done? Because especially going back to those videos, sometimes a video would take me one hour to complete and others that were just more difficult for one reason or another, with maybe the content and pictures, could take me three hours. So after doing all of that for a long time, I have been able to find an acceptable range, you know, based on each project. But, you know, it's kind of a shot in the dark at times. The, The one contract, somebody asked me to create a solutions manual for a 13-chapter book, okay. math book, <laughs> university math book, for $1,000. Oh, come on. <laughs> I said, I'm sorry. Who do you um, think I am? <laughs> you, you want, and I, I was like, okay, is the solution manual just doing the odd answers? You know, because yeah. like, you know, sometimes it's not, and they're like, no, we want you to solve every problem in the book. No. Okay. <laughs> Um, that's when I said, you know, your budget is just not, you know, remotely close to, you know, we're just (laughs) not. Yeah. So, but I, you know, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, (laughs) it's interesting. You have to know. It's like, okay, so, so I always ask, can you please send me like one chapter so I can look to, to get an idea? Cause how many problems are in each chapter and is it all the same or does it vary? and Yeah. 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 Like yeah, there's all these things. So, um, so what I learned through that is that I would not contract through the whole book. I would go chapter by chapter and I would send them a bid by chapter because some were a lot longer than others. So if it's Mm -hmm. longer and it takes more time, I need more money, um, or my team needs more money. So, um, I, my contractors make less than what I do. Um, uh, I have tried to get them into the bidding business with me. I will tell them the scope of a project and I will ask if they have um, a compensation um, range they would look for and how long they think it would take them to get it done. Now, I already have all the information in my head. Um, I know how long it would take me to get something done. I'm very efficient at what I do because I've been doing it for so many years. So then I add on time because they are they work slower than me on certain things than others. And that's okay, And I know kind of what I have valued their rate at based on their experience and and qualifications and, you know, all of that. Um, And so when I'm so I, I get that information from them. But what I'm finding is that my contractors don't they're they're not confident on, you know, setting that personal value for their time and whatnot. And they've flat out told me, you know, oh, you just have to let me know what you're thinking. You know, like, mm-hmm. like I've tried to help them think yeah. through it, um, but I've, I've kind of, okay, fine, I'll throw up my hands. If I try a couple of times and you're not willing to pick it up, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. So then I do that. And then I put my amount on top of their amount that, you know, I'm, I'm willing to pay them for it. And then I send that higher bid into the client. So I get a cut off of everything um, that my contractors are doing, but I'm managing the project, I'm finding the projects, I'm working with the client on the projects, and I'm invoicing and doing all of that. So although I'm physically not doing the the content work, the editorial service on a lot of it, um, I might just oversee a little bit, uh, I'm doing other things, so that's what I'm getting paid for.
2: Well, how do you learn the business aspect of, of all of that? If you have no experience on that side with invoicing or whatever it
3: takes? Um, I was lucky with that very first big contract that with Pearson education, they have an invoicing process that I had to follow as a contractor. So because of that and seeing what I needed to enter, um, a contract number, the amount, you know, this and that, like seeing what they would send me. I then honestly created a Google sheet with like the similar information, my yep. business contact, their info, you know, a line item for what it is I'm working on a small descriptor, the amount, um, the date, the current date that I'm going to turn it in. Um, the direct deposit banking information. And I choose to put net 30 on my invoices, which means the client has 30 days from receipt to get the money in my account. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that works. Most <laughs> of the time it works. Every once in a while it doesn't. You know? <laughs> so, but yeah, it's just through trial and error and figuring out. I was lucky that, you know, I, when I was hired for my first freelancing gig, I had some structure I could see. And then honestly, just Google, you know, I'm putting in different questions. How do I do this? Like I, when I started using contractors, I technically did it under the table because I didn't know what I needed to do from a business point of view to, because I'm a contractor for other people. So how do I contract other people? Um, so first I, you know, I just needed the help because it was too much work and I was getting stressed and I had my own business and I want to be happy with it. So I knew I needed help. So I found the appropriate help that I needed. Um, and then um, ultimately at that point in time, I was already living a nomadic life, uh, which we can get back to talk to you about that. And through that, I have a tax um, specialist who works with US expats. And he, I emailed him and asked him, Hey, I have contractors. What do I need to do? And he essentially said, you need to write down, uh, anytime you pay them, you know, keep, keep nice details. So what I pay them for the year. And then at the end of the year, um, I provide him with my contractor's names and email, you know, I have like a whole W nine form for them. And, um, And then he, the, my tax expert goes into whatever system and he creates the 1099 and then he emails it to me and I email it to my people. Mm -hmm. Um, I do. And he doesn't charge me for that because I only have a couple contractors. And so it doesn't take him any time. I give him exactly what he needs. And I, I did read that I could do it myself. I have seen, there's many ways you can do it yourself, just online. I just feel better with him doing it. Yeah. Um, that's understandable. And he's not charging me any extra, you know, I, he does my taxes every year or so. And they're very reason. I think my, what I pay him to do my, my taxes uh, is very reasonable. So I'm, I'm happy. There's just certain things I'm like, happy to pay for. <laughs> so um, yeah. and I've referred him a lot of business too. Um, do you want to go back and talk a little bit about how I became a, Nomad, Nomad. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So I started, you know, my business freelancing summer of 2017. And um, I was, I had a home office already because of the other job I had just that remote position. So, you know, I would just sit there at my desk in my home office and do whatever projects I do. But my family was spread out all across the U.S. and I was living in the greater Phoenix, Arizona area, I would like to drive to Las Vegas, have a nice weekend, you know, and and I would just travel in general, Um, go on vacations with my mom, we might catch a cruise or, you know, something and enjoy time with my friends and family. And it was when I would be away from my home that I realized I don't need to be sitting in my home office to do my work or run my business that, that physical location has no bearing on, on my work whatsoever.
2: Isn't it funny (laughs) when that becomes like a light bulb moment?
3: Yeah. Like there was absolutely nothing about that home office that was special for anything. I will say my master closet, it was a walk-in closet. It was the quietest place to record the audio for all of those math videos. So it did come in handy. (laughs) It did come in handy. But beyond that, I, I didn't physically need to be there to do anything. So um, so that, you know, made one light bulb go off. And I think I had heard the phrase of digital nomads, you know, before. So I started researching that. And um, that was definitely by 2018. And somewhere in my research with What does it mean to be a digital nomad? What do I need to know about traveling the world? The common questions of do I need a work visa, Um, cell phone, banking, lodging, uh, you know, all of those topics. So I'm researching all of these topics. And somewhere I also came across the FIRE communities, financial, Mm -hmm. independence, retire early. So then I started reading and researching and listening to podcasts about that topic, too. So I spent about a full year, um, all of 2018, maybe part of 2017, researching both of these communities. And I was like, okay, there's some overlap here. There's overlap in becoming a minimalist and You know, it's a little extreme with the nomad, being a nomad, where you sell everything and live out of a suitcase. You know, not everyone does that, but I did, (laughs) or I am doing that. So I just have a suitcase now. And uh, and this term called geo-arbitrage, which means as you move to different locations, whether it's country to country or even within your own country or home state or province, whatever it might be. When you relocate to an area that has a lower cost of living than where you were, your money can go farther. You're spending less on the essentials, you know, and, and so you can save more and invest for your future. And, uh, so just all of these kind of topics, I was able to marry together and I'm like, I can do this. And also from the financial point of view, I'm like, if I sell my house, I made a killer profit. If I sell my house, invest that profit, I'll make more money than keeping the house and running it out. So I did that cost analysis. Math person here, run the yep. numbers, <laughs> and uh, which anyone can do. And um, and then I just realized, like, okay, I'm not going to have all these other expenses. I won't have property tax. I'm not going to have a vehicle, so I'm not going to have car insurance or gas or replacing tires or you know whatever it might be. I just eliminated every every like major bill you know um, I'm not going clothes shopping all the time when I'm bored you know um, uh, I'm not accumulating stuff mm-hmm. and so I could save a lot of money and then with that I was like oh my gosh the amount of money I can save if I start moving around to these countries because and, and living this different lifestyle I don't have to work forever yeah. I can, earn and save and invest enough money and it can grow. Um, and I'm going to be able to reach this point you know, point, and then I will be financially independent. And so that's where, you know, that content came in and what does that mean and what number do I have to reach based on my lifestyle and so on. So it was a year of research and I was like, this is what I need to do. You know, I don't want to work, you know, when I'm 70 years old, um, Uh, But I knew what I wanted to do. I want to travel the world full time so I can learn and explore. That is what makes me happy. And so that's what I did.
0: Educators, you've given so much. You deserve to feel respected, fulfilled, and supported. And you're more marketable than you know. Let's find the right fit for you for the next phase of your career.
1: Visit whatsnextteacher.com for one-on-one career coaching, job application materials, unteacherizing your resume, interview preparation, negotiation assistance, and Julie's course, the 21-Day Career Transition Challenge. And now, back to the show.
3: That is amazing. (laughs) <laughs> That's what I did. And I reached a milestone marker um, December of 2020. It was right before the new year at the end of December 2020. Um, financially, my investments reached a, a certain point, a certain milestone that I had set that I needed. So in February of 2021, February 7th, I finished a very large project. And I decided that I was going to retire by still keeping my business, but I am no longer going to be a worker bee in my business. I am not going to do projects anymore. I'm just going to manage the client and contractor relationships. Um, And so I, um, I'm still earning an income with my contractors doing their work. And I don't have tons of clients. I scaled back the business so for over a year now i've really only been working about like five hours a month so i can enjoy all these places that i'm at and i can do whatever i want whenever i want and it's lovely (laughs) so it really was able to bring that freedom um that's
2: amazing yeah and i think you know now with so much of the post-covid world allowing for remote work I think a lot of my listeners might be thinking along those lines too that you know an income is not just what you're doing but potentially where you're doing it as well and can realize those savings and make them make it grow that is that's really and inspiring
3: the saving part I think is a huge hurdle for most of the world um I there's a vast majority of people that have the phrase we use, you know, living paycheck to paycheck. yeah, And they don't know how to save, um, where to save, what to save for. This this is one thing my mom and I will, will kind of get in some heated dis- uh, discussions about because she's like, I told you girls to save when you were younger. And, and I'm like, yes, you did. but But that's where the sentence stopped. You mm. didn't explain where do I need to put my money? Why do I need to put it there? What am I going to do with it whenever? You know, like the, the whys. I didn't get the whys. And I'm a pretty literal person. I need examples um, and explanations. And um, and yeah, so it, I, I just didn't have those light bulbs until I started learning about the financial independence communities. And, you know, it's really, really embarrassing because as a math teacher and a university professor, the content in some of these courses is, um, you know, compound interest in savings accounts. And you know, right, and yeah. I, have, I have taught, I, I can teach how to calculate this and that. But none of the deeper why was there, and um, to be dead honest, when people talked about retirement, I didn't know what that meant. Mm-hmm. It I had a surface level thought, and that, and I'm learning that a lot of people have this too. It at least among me and my friends in the U.S., retirement means you are 65 or older and you're collecting Social Security from the United mm-hmm. States government, and depending on your career, you might have a pension or other type of retirement fund, um, you know, in another financial institution. And this, and, and really my concept stopped there. Like I understood that, but then I didn't understand, well, what was the money for? It's for your mortgage, for your rent, it's for your food, it is for your clothes, it is for your entertainment. Like, I, it's, it's so sad that I didn't have this understanding till like practically my late thirties and, oh, um, you're not alone. Well, and that's the thing. So I, I laugh because it's like, oh my gosh, this should have been obvious, but it, but it wasn't. I I,
2: taught in school. I don't understand why we
3: don't get the life skills. Well, you know, I, I do, I will stand up for math teachers on that. We do teach a lot of the concepts so they can do the calculations, but we are not explaining the why. That was my disconnect. I know it's, and the other thing too, um, children children and adults, we all learn at different um, paces. And sometimes, you know, if we're trying to teach this in middle school and high school, if these kids are, you know, 12 to 17, 18, they might not have the maturity or the cognitive abilities to make those connections. You know, they're trying to absorb the content, but the meaning isn't there for them because it does not, they, they can't relate to it yet. Yeah. You know, they, they don't get it yet. They just might not be ready to truly deeply understand the content yet. Um, I, I had issues with um, being a sophomore in high school with geometry and those darn proofs. And I didn't get, I could not make those connections no matter how hard my poor teacher tried and tried to do different ways. Like it was not happening for me. I didn't get it. Well, you know what? I became a high school math teacher and I had to teach it. Yeah, (laughs) I will never forget the day I sat down before school started with uh, my department chair, first year teaching and um, Miss Johnson, and I I told her, you know, my biggest fear for this year is getting I think it was chapter four. In that book, I go, I was really bad at this in when I was in high school. And when this content came up again, in my university program, I'm not, I don't feel confident in this. And I'm afraid, I'm not going to be able to teach it well. And you know what, she sat down 15 minutes, showed me a chart and, and was able to explain something. I'm 23 years old and I finally got it. Not and I think it was because of my age and where I was in life. Having context. I yeah. I didn't, I didn't understand it at 16. And when I was, you know, I don't know, 18, 19, 20, whenever I had similar coursework at university for my bachelor's I, again, uh, eh, didn't all click. And plus it was like harder type content it wasn't all euclidean geometry anyways you know so i just i wasn't ready yet so um we do teach some some of this i in school i do feel we miss the why and often when the why is not taught it's because the teacher doesn't know it either (laughs) because if the teacher knows it then they will go into it naturally through their uh lessons that makes sense. And, um, I mean it's it's like teaching, you know, division of fractions. Why do we multiply by the reciprocal? Well, I can tell you this, there's not many elementary school teachers that really know the why. They've memorized yeah. the rule, but they yep. don't know the why. So it's taught, but the why is not always taught, depends on the teacher. That's
2: why you don't retain it. But I don't I don't put I don't put it all on math teachers. I, I really do think there needs oh, to sure. be sort of like a life skill <laughs> kind of course where you're oh, learning yes. all yeah. of this stuff. I had the, the same sort of experience where I had been hustling my whole life, you know, as a, as a high school teacher, you don't really ever have a chance to put your, get your head above water. Right. I was in there, at, you know, six thirty AM getting ready for the day. Yeah. And you know, then you're staying till all hours of the night coaching or whatever after schools they've roped you into and then I was shocked to find that after my doctoral program I was making less as an assistant professor than I was (laughs) teaching in a public high school so it was paycheck to paycheck for quite a while and it wasn't until you know you reach a certain age that you go I need to figure out what this what is a 401k (laughs) what is this how does this work I for myself I just decided to start opening up random brokerage accounts and right. I was playing around and buying random stocks. I didn't get into any of the GameStop stuff. Thank goodness. Sure. But you yeah. know, I, I just, you know, had to experience it to, to figure it out. Yeah. Well, it mm-hmm. sounds like, so you're blogging now. Is there anything else that you'd want to kind of talk to our listeners about that you're working on now? Oh, uh-
3: yeah. I mean, I kind of, I started a blog in two different ways. I have a uh, public Facebook page that I like to post my day-to-day pictures, some of my upcoming travel itineraries and this and that. When I first left the US for good in 2019, I did use a Wix uh, website for a blog page. And I was really trying to write at least a uh, one article a month about my experience and where I was and talking about the finances of it and this, that, and the other. And, um, you know, over the pandemic (laughs) and everything else, you know, I think I stopped writing in there like last October. I haven't posted anything in quite a while. Uh, the longer articles, I'm very active on my Facebook public page, which is called a suitcase and a smile. And, um, so I write my day to day there, but I'm, I have a love hate relationship with that blog because I do like to get out those longer posts of like detailed information. So I'm, I'm working on uh, my thoughts for two different topics right now. Um, one, one is going deeper into the topic of how to find clients. Um, and through actually using conference program guides and looking up vendor lists. Um, and then the other, what was the other topic? I just started, that's sad. I just started writing something the other day and I already forgot about it. But my love hate relationship with the, the blog is that um, I want it to be fun. And if I, for me, so it's really a diary for me to go back and look on. And if the content is helpful to other people, great. But I have no desire to monetize any of this because I don't want to have the responsibility of having to have constant content up all the time. Mm-hmm. I've met a lot of people in these nomad uh, groups um, and even the financial independence groups that you know they created a YouTube channel. They they've got this. They've got that. And they're like, I'm retired now, and blah, blah blah. I'm like, No, you're not. You literally just started a new business, and you don't even know that, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and then they're burnt out because they're like, Oh my gosh, we have to get this content up. You know, we told our subscribers we were going to do three videos a week, or this and that. And I'm like, You, Ooh. you started a business. You didn't even realize you started a business. Yeah. <laughs> and now you have all this. So you're not retired. You're working all over again. You're just doing something new or new to you. And, uh, so I don't want another, um, I don't want another business. I don't want another career. Um, uh, so my Facebook page and my little Wix blog is if I get to it, I get to it. And if I don't, I don't, and I don't care.
2: (laughs) So well, that's
3: awesome. I'll, yeah. I'll
2: definitely link to this in the show notes and anything else that, that Chris has to share. I, I can't tell you, I didn't even expect to get this much out of uh, speaking to you personally. I'm, I'm just really inspired by your whole worldview and your approach to your career and how you've taken control and kept your values at the center. I, I just think you're amazing.
3: I, I think it's really important. You know, there's so many people, they're like, well, why would I want to retire early? What would I do? And I I feel my heart breaks when I hear that because that's telling me that your life is about your work. Mm-hmm. And and it, it then, then I asked like, okay, well, do you have any hobbies? Like, what are your passions? And, and look, you know, you can love your work and that's great. And it, you know, but I, my heart breaks a little bit because I'm like, wow, like this world is so big. And there's so many different things that you can do. um, But people don't know what they want to retire to. Um, And, and, and it connects with this topic of if you're a teacher and you want to find other career paths, you know, um, to use your skill set and get out of that face to face classroom, you know, how, how can you become a digital nomad? Well, what do you want to do? And it's okay to change your mind a lot. (laughs) You know, try something, see how much you like it. And you asked me before, when do I know I need to change to the next job or this and that? You know you know when you know if you are not absolutely loving what you're doing, um, and if there's more days than not that you wake up and you're just like, Oh, I just don't want to do this. Well, you know what? Find the next thing that you're interested in and go try it. There's absolutely nothing wrong with having different types of careers. Um, I have so many different hobbies and interests, I played. Billiards. I was in billiards leagues when I was 18, 19 years old. I rode sport motorcycles from, I don't know, early 2000, oh, it was 2000 to uh, 2008. I had two race motorcycles. I was a dance instructor. I worked at a summer camp. I've been a bartender. I've been a university professor, a high school teacher, a curriculum developer, a business owner. <laughs> you know, like, uh, now my, my hobby the past few years have been snorkeling because I've been living across the Caribbean. Oh. Um, you know, <laughs> I, awesome. I just finished two months of living on a cruise ship. Um, oh, that's what it was. I was writing about how exhausting it was living on cruise ships for two months. <laughs> so, you know, like, oh, I gotta read like that. yeah, um, I, I got to finish writing it. Um, <laughs> that was when I started the other day. Like, there's just, there's so much in this world to do. And, um, I don't understand when people are like, oh my God, well, what would I do? Like, how, how do you not have 10,000 things on the list of what you could do? You know, there's a lot more, like, I don't want to go skydiving, not interested. You know, I, I'll watch you jump out of a plane. I don't want to do it. Um, you know, but yeah, there's, oh, The world is just so big. How do you not know what you want to do (laughs) or try?
2: (laughs) Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, you just got to try a lot of different things and then you can see yourself more flexibly. I think we just get such a narrow vision of who we are and what we can do. And that, that really creates that myopia.
3: And I, I mentioned how I was into dance for a long time through my early 20s. Um, yeah, I thought I found my dream job with my first high school teaching position. Not only was I opening a brand new building in this particular school district, but I was their uh, drill team or dance team coach. I, I got hired for that position too. And this was what I thought my life was gonna be. I was gonna coach dance. I'm gonna teach high school math um it was horrible <laughs> it was nothing that i it did not fulfill my heart yeah. and i was very unhappy and i'm 23 and i'm sitting here like oh my gosh this is what i thought i wanted to do since i was like 15 oh was i just absolutely wrong you know, I did not want to be treated the way I was treated. Um, the hours that you mentioned, you know, before, like, oh, it was not, not what I wanted to do. So I made changes. And and it's okay to get a job and realize that, you know what, and no, this isn't right. This isn't it. You know, but at least I tried. You know, I thought I wanted to do that. I got into it. Nope, don't want to do that. So Bless yeah, you that's a,
2: you. <laughs> That's a lesson I continually learn. I you know, I was trying to decide between a couple of gigs to take on about a month ago and I thought, wow, I just cannot I just cannot really weigh there's just great things about both these opportunities and then it was like, you know what? neither
3: of these are forever. <laughs> just do exactly. one. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Pick something now, try it for a while. And that was a thing, you know, I, when I first went um, to go work for this uh, STEM education company, it was in a state and an area that I just was never on my radar. And, um, I had some reservations in the interview process for that, but there was a lot of things I was very excited for. And you know what, I told myself, I'm like, heck, I'm gonna go for this, why not, let's do it. And I did tell myself mentally, if it doesn't work out, that's okay, I will find another job. But you know, it's kind of like just saying that to make me a little bit more comfortable. Um, And you know what, yeah, after a while, that was not the job for me and that's okay. It, you know, it's okay. <laughs> so, um, uh, but I, I had to learn and, um, and it's just like with nomading, a lot of people ask, well, how do you pick your next place? And I have a lot of factors that go into that. Um, and sometimes I pick my next place and I get there and I'm like, wow, like I am just not connecting with being here. So I make the best of my time. I, 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 definitely will put the effort in on doing maybe some more organized tours or this and that, if I'm just not able to connect with some people uh, locally and and kind of fit in. And, um, you know, at least give it a good go. I only book for a certain amount of time, I make the best of my time, and then I am off to the next location. And I hope that I Uh, did a little bit better job on picking the right community and where I want to be so I can get involved while I'm there. And at times it's worked out great to where I extended my time. Um, My very first country was Mexico because it's so close to the U.S. It's touching it. So pop down to Mexico. My intention was to stay for three months. I had most of my accommodations worked out. I was moving around a bit during that time. I had most of that worked out for about three months well, I met so many awesome people. I extended my time and stayed for almost the full 186 months that you're allowed to at that time. So I love the flexibility of this lifestyle that if I love somewhere, okay, great. I'm either going to stay longer or maybe I need to come back if I can, you know, if I need to reset my time in or whatever it might be, or I already booked something else and I can't cancel to get my money back. I'm going to still continue to go do that. And then I'll come back somewhere um, to enjoy it more later. So it's great. That is great. <laughs> yes. Well,
2: Chris, I won't take up too much more of your time, but I appreciate all of the wisdom that I personally have been able to garner from this episode. And I know that folks that are interested in leaving the classroom and really can't see the broader picture and all of the possibilities out there are going to be inspired by your story. So I, I, I thank you for coming on the show.
3: Absolutely. Glad I had the opportunity. Thank you.
2: All right. All right. Thanks so much. I'm going to, um, you know, clean up this recording and I'll get any info that you want me to link in the show notes. I know people will probably be interested in following your public Facebook page and the blog.
3: Yeah, um, I'll look up that else. website. <laughs> so, just like I said, like, you know, with the long URL and everything. So, yeah, I'll, yeah. Uh, shoot that to you with a, also a link to the Facebook page. So, um, cool. That's awesome. But uh, so you can add that. Do you mind if I do it in a uh, Facebook Messenger?
2: Yeah, that's totally. Those two that's links? Totally okay. great. Yeah.
3: Just because we were, I know I have your email, but. Here we go. I'm going to do, that is the blog. And that is the Facebook page. So they both have the same picture. You're welcome to pull whatever photo, if you'd like, out of there. Okay, great.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, and thanks for being flexible yesterday. That was just... (laughs) <laughs> like I'm not going be able to formulate a sentence after being up all night.
3: Yeah, I understand. No worries. And if, if you have other, you know, more specific questions, I'm, I'm happy to answer them, you know, at any time. So. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Well, have a wonderful rest of your afternoon. Yeah. I should go do something. <laughs> I I had a really busy past two months. And so I, I'm honestly, I love the condo I picked where I am. I'm in Las Palmas, Gran Canaria, uh, uh, Canary Islands, um, which is owned by Spain. But um, geographically, it's on the west side of Africa, on the northern part. Anyways, yeah. And uh, it's I mean, it's a gorgeous island and I'm right on the beach and I am kicking myself because I haven't even gone to the beach yet. I have not swam in the ocean. I've been here two weeks. I, I was just... gonna say,
2: wait, how long have you been there?
3: How would you... I've been I got here May 4th, so two weeks. <laughs> just about. And um, and during the day, I just sit in my condo and relax and in the evenings there's a large digital nomad community here and they are putting on different uh, social events so last night was kind of like uh, drinks after work so it started at eight Um, uh, tonight is uh, what we call trivia night they call it quiz night Um, somebody from the UK, actually two guys from the UK, uh, put this on and that also starts at eight. Um, Thursday, I go to what's called Apertivo that starts at 630. Uh, essentially, I think that means appetizer. And so it's, you get two drinks and a large appetizer for seven euros. So just under $8 US. Um, but the, it's this tiny little restaurant and the waitress keeps, um, uh, a lot of people drink champagne, they call it cava here. And so she just keeps on filling it up. So I think <laughs> I had like, six glasses of champagne last Thursday for seven euros. And that's... tipping is not part of the culture here. And so I gave her a 10. And I was like, Oh, just keep it, you know, no cambio, no change. You know? Yeah. Because <laughs> so, I'm like, you just gave me like way more than what you were supposed to. But I guess that's just the gig for that night. And After that kind of happy hour experience, other people go dancing at a rooftop bar at a hotel, but I don't really like to be out too terribly late. So I pass and loud music. I'm just over it. But um, yeah. And then Friday, I'm going to take a day tour. I found one on TripAdvisor. Sounded fun. Um, uh, So I'm going to go take a day tour on Friday around the island. So you just kind of do whatever, but yeah, most of the time during the day, I just kind of sit. <laughs> I'm lazy. I'm really, really lazy right now. So enjoy it. I mean, uh, geez. I am, but the guilt of not maximizing my time while I'm here, uh, that's the challenge I have to work with internally. You know, I feel yeah. guilty for being in an amazing place and I'm not really you know, doing a whole lot. I can sit and watch Netflix from anywhere. But right now I have a phenomenal view of the ocean. So why not do it from here? (laughs) Uh,
2: Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, that's always like the hard (laughs) thing for me with traveling is I kind of want to just live my normal life, but somewhere else. Yes, then you, you know, you do want to see something new as well, but not at the expense of enjoying
3: your time. Exactly. That's why I, you know, meeting a lot of people that that don't Understand a traveler's or a nomadic lifestyle. You know, they just think you're on vacation all the time and doing. You know, oh, go here, go there, go wherever. It's like, sure, I do tours. You know, and this and that. But I go to the grocery store. I make dinner or breakfast or lunch. You know, like I, 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 I just did my laundry. You know. Yeah, (laughs) it's still just life. It's life. It's just I'm moving faster than what a lot of people do. And, and to be honest, one thing I didn't explain very well, um, earlier is that, uh, ever since I graduated high school, I have moved every year, except for twice my first house. When I taught high school, I owned that house for three years and was fairly stationary, except for traditional like vacations. And then when I had that remote job, uh, in where I lived in Arizona, I bought a house and I physically had that house for four years, but I was traveling for work the whole entire time. So I wasn't even really there. But other than that, every single year I moved. So it's like, pack your bags and boxes, uh, move across town or move, a, a, you know, a couple blocks over to a different apartment complex or move to a different city in the same state. I have moved so much. Um, you know since 1997 so that's 25 years. So yeah. we we don't use the word nomad when you sign a year lease and you have a u-haul with crap in it. Yeah. <laughs> um but by definition I was. It yeah, was somebody that's moving for a new opportunity. So we didn't have that for, and you know I wasn't digital then but I was still I've been living nomadically since 1997. Oh, that's that's amazing. You know, the only difference now, and that's why, like, when my parents were like, what? (laughs) They're like, you're going to go do what? Um, I had to tell them, I was like, you know, how many addresses have you had to change, you know, for me in your contact book? You know, I've had so many different, and they're like, yeah, I guess that's true. You know, but (laughs) you've always been in the United States. I'm like, yeah, but I've moved to a dozen cities over five states, you know?
2: yeah it's a similar lifestyle I mean it's not yeah
3: yeah it's so it's like they're like oh okay yeah I I get it (laughs) so I love them they're great
2: but yeah so um, my parents would have a very similar kind of reaction to that we just moved um my husband and I both went remote pretty much overnight and we were living in DC right in the middle of Right downtown, you know, Oof. three grand for 800 square feet, like uh, penthouse, you know, on yeah. the ninth floor. But everything was yeah. closed because it was COVID and we, DC locked down pretty hard. Oh, well, we had just all this, we, we were like, let's go to Miami and work for the weekend. We're sitting on beach chairs, you know, we're like, wait a minute.
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: We don't yeah. have to stay in DC anymore. Nope. And not. we both did one of those incentive programs, Tulsa Remote, and moved oh. to Tulsa. So we were able they gave us 20 grand. we put a down payment on a house. We never thought we were gonna be homeowners right And right. we've got this big house. we both have offices. we have huge yard and yeah. it's our mortgage is a lot less than our rent was. yeah um, and yeah. now this is like gonna be a great home base. you know we can save and it's a great home base to to travel when you know we kind of get our wits about us. We've only been here for six months, so
3: yeah. Kind well one thing out. I'll I'll tell you, you know, I have no idea where your guys' income level is, but if you do choose to leave the United States, um, my my taxes, so how this works is that I can claim a certain tax exclusion if I stay outside of the US 330 days or more, meaning I can only come back in for 35 days, and that's to the the US or a US territory, Puerto Rico. US Virgin Islands, things like that, right? So, by claiming this tax exclusion, I do not pay federal or state income tax on the first 108,000 of my income. Oh, that's in amazing. 2020, my business exploded, and that tax exclusion literally saved me $20,000 in taxes. Oh, that's nuts. I was living on less than $40,000 that year. So it, it literally saved me half my cost of living and, um, something I, I don't want published, but I'll just tell you individually, but if you please don't, you know, publish this is that, um, uh, through some family stuff, um, I do get some money, uh, during the year, which is very helpful. And I, I appreciate that. It's, um, Uh, birthday and Christmas, I get uh, a little bit of gifts, monetary gifts. And so between that and that tax savings, I cover my cost of living with that. So I don't technically have to work anymore but i those those gifts are are gracious I, I truly value and appreciate it but i do not see it as income it goes straight into my brokerage accounts because i don't have a 401k or anything anymore it's just me myself and i and charles yeah. schwab and you know so yeah. um, so i appreciate that and i'm saving that you know that's for for my future and so now you know the money from my business is what i'm living off of but I've also, you know, in in all those nomad groups, they talk a lot about, oh, spending as little as possible. And I'm like, you know what, I don't have to spend as little as possible. And so what I've actually been doing the past year, I am spending more on rent than I ever have in my life because I'm able to get these kick-ass places that just, I really feel at home in, like the place I'm in right now is my Favorite place I've rented to date, you know, three full years under my belt of this quick movement, um, and it is worth spending more because I get every single one of those boxes checked, you know, on my wish list. Of, God, I love the way you, you know. think. So, but I'm not. I used to be really big into shopping. I loved my um, Coach purses, my um, oh, there's oh, Movado watches. I used to buy. Uh, White House black market clothes. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Every time I walk in the store, I'd spend five hundred bucks easily. Oh, yeah, you know, like <laughs> I don't do any of that because all of my stuff just has to fit in one suitcase. So if I buy a new piece of clothes, I have to get rid of something else. I, I just can't. Oh, yeah, you're getting accumulate more stuff. Point. So so although I'm spending more on my accommodations, it, like it's, it's still balancing out to be way less than what I would spend. Because when I lived in the US, I was addicted to consumerism. I wanted all the nice new fancy stuff, the bells and whistles on a new car, the the fancy big pretty house that then you had to furnish, you know, I I wanted all this stuff. So I really didn't understand savings. And I was doing paycheck to paycheck as my income kept increasing. And I kick myself now I'm like, man, if you know, by the time I was making ninety, a hundred thousand, if I knew how to live off of forty thousand and did it, yeah, I could, you know. So in twenty twenty, pandemic hit, my business exploded. I literally saved ninety thousand dollars cash of my income, with additional from the gifts and. The year prior, I sold my house and I made a profit of 127000 is what went into the bank, into my investments. So in 12 months, I saved 250000 cash.
2: And you got to put it in when stocks were on sale. So that was good.
3: Yes. Yes. So Right now, right now I'm down 106,000 in the past year. So that sucks, but I'm not worried about it. You know, I hate, I hate that my accounts are so low, but I don't care. I know it's going to come back. It sucks. And so, yeah, I'm going to start, I'm going to try and ramp up my business a little bit more right now, because I do think it financially, things are going to be like this for longer than we like. Um, but that's the great thing of having choice. I, I can do it. I don't have to do it, but I know it would be in my best interest to do it. So I I love having the choices. So that's really, that's the place thing. to be. <laughs> it is. And I'm, I'm so happy. And and that's the thing, like, I, you know, I know so many of my friends and family or just people in general. They, you know, they don't have that thousand dollars in the savings account. I don't, I don't know if you've read much Dave Ramsey or, you know, some of these other people, but you know, the statistically speaking that, you know, the average person cannot handle a thousand dollar emergency and, um, you know, but you, you do have to just stop and change your, your life. I've, I've got a buddy of mine who's also in math and he's asked me a lot about how he could do what I'm doing. And I've tried to explain it the best I, I can in different ways, but you know, he's spending way too much on his rent. He is leasing cars every few months. He's getting a new car. He has designer clothes. Like you have to change your lifestyle.
2: Yeah. You know,
3: you're, you're doing that to, to do. yourself. It is.
2: When you're, when when you're is. in that U.S. like consumerist culture, it just becomes a part of your kind yeah, of mindset. It, it,
3: yeah. And it's hard. That's why I had to sell everything and leave. It was my intervention to myself. Um, you know, or my, whatever you call it, you know, in your Senate, like rehab, you know, (laughs) I I had to remove myself from the, that culture because I, I was not going to be able to do what I wanted to do if I stayed there. And I knew when I left that I would never live in that country again. And I went back in February to see my family, some stuff went down, they needed help. And um, by the third day I was back in the country, I was like, Oh, my God, I can't, I had two and a half weeks, I was supposed to be there. And I stayed until my ending date, but I had to, I had to change the amount of time I was supposed to spend half of it with my mother, half of it with my dad and stepmom. I ended up building five days to myself in the middle and I went to yeah. Las Vegas. So I just sat there because I, I couldn't do it. I, I, I come back and it, I, I don't fit in there into the country. I was in three different States and it just, I, I don't want that lifestyle, that culture. It does not make me happy. Yeah. And, uh, and it won't allow me to reach and exceed my goals. So I know I cannot be there. So that's
2: awesome. Cause so many people think like you have to work with the culture's goals. It's just hard to see where your goals could even
3: be something to yeah. pursue. And I've lost a lot of friends because they're like, well, why are so many people, you know, immigrating here and this and that? And I'm like, well, you know, because they're sipping the Kool-Aid. They want that life. They, they want the money. They want the lifestyle. They want the tech. They want to be in a new, young country that's doing this and that. And you know what? My my friends that get pissy with me about it, I'm like, you go look up the statistics about how many people are leaving the country. And are not coming back. You know they're becoming expatriates. You know for a reason. And although you know it, it doesn't exceed the other numbers, but it's still a valuable number that's leaving. And most of us are not even tracked. I my tax residency is my dad's house in Arizona. Um, I you know there's no form that I've filled out and clicked that said I'm never coming back to this country. The only form I fill out is my tax form. I have to click the button that says I've been, I have proof that I've been out of the country in the territories for this long, but I'm still a citizen, um, but I'm not tracked in that data because I choose not to gain residency anywhere else on on purpose. So um, a lot of that is financial. I want to leave my money in the US. And so you have to bob and weave some systems there. Yeah. So, anyways, but well, I know that I know I've taken up a lot of your time, but you know, oh, I'm just soaking up all the knowledge. <laughs> yeah, there's there's so much. You guys can save so much. You know, enjoy your your stay in Oklahoma and those benefits for that. But if in the future, you know, there's ways to save more money. Um...
2: <laughs> yeah, this is sort of training wheels for us, I think, and then it'll be, you know, we'll figure it out. But I'm yeah, I'm pretty in awe of what you're doing.
3: Yeah, it's fun. It's not for everyone, that's for sure. But, um, and, and I know for me, my sweet spot is about a month in a place. You know, if I'm really not connecting with it, a month is good. I can, I can get through it and then move on. But, um, you know, I'm a little sad that I'm not going to be here longer. I would have extended my stay here, but I have other things already planned and paid for and this and that. So I will be coming back to the Canary Islands um, for the winter months because it's the warmest region in Europe and I want to, I want to explore Europe for a few years. So, um, so I've decided I'll, I'll come back here and I won't binge watch Netflix as much. <laughs> so I, I have goals for when I return. <laughs> so Yeah. Well, yeah. awesome.
2: Oh, thank you again. And um, like I said, I'll be in touch just to let you know when this goes up and yeah, I think, I think it's going to be awesome. <laughs>
3: Good. Good. Alrighty. will you have a lovely day Too take care. Okay. Bye-bye.
2: Bye.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review.
1: To catch all the latest from Julie, check out whatsnextteacher.com or follow up on social media at whatsnextteacher across all platforms.
0: Thanks again and see you next time.